Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. Good morning. What a beautiful day out. This is why we live in Colorado. I'll tell you what. It's going to be... 70 degrees in the metro area this weekend, yet we've got up to 15, up to 2 feet of 15 inches to 2 feet of snow. Some places in the mountains, you can take your boat out. You can out, probably find a place to go snowshoeing. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. We're going to get some fly fishing reports from the area. Don't put those long rods away. We have some of the most phenomenal fall and winter fly fishing right here on the Front Range. We'll be talking a lot about that over the next three weeks. Uh, Upland game season's right around the corner. We're going to get some shotgunning tips from the folks at Colorado Clays. We're going to talk some walleye fishing, get some fly fishing reports. And we're going to talk about moose interaction later on, too. A lot of people underestimate that. So we just got a lot of ground to cover today. So stay with us for the full two hours. We're going right to the phones now. And joining us from Fly Fishing Magazine, which has been a staple in the outdoor industry for, for many, many years. And uh, it's Ross, uh, Ross Purnell. Good morning, Ross. Hey, how you doing, Terry? You know, I'm doing great. It's, uh, I don't know, I think you're calling us from out east probably today. I know you're headed this way in a couple weeks, but it's uh, beautiful here. Are you enjoying some nice weather? Yeah, I'm actually calling from New York State right now. I'm at uh, the Mohawk Nature Preserve, and I'm rock climbing. So I'm up on a cliff face a couple hundred feet off the ground. That's pretty awesome. You know, as a fly fisherman, some of those great lakes areas uh, that you can, are not too far uh, just to the west of you off of Lake Erie and then off of uh, some of the other Great Lakes is some phenomenal brown trout and steelhead runs. Yeah, it's a bit of a drive for me, but I get up there two or three times every fall. The, now, the whole south shore of Lake Erie is one of my favorite places. Now, Ross, we're going to cu- we're going to talk about a very unique event, I think especially to a lot of the fishermen here in Colorado. Um, you took a trip into Mongolia, and out of that came a lot of good things. And a, and a great adventure, and you're sharing that with people in the form of a film. But let's tell them first about the trip. Where did you go, and what was your quarry? Um, we went to sort of the far reaches of Mongolia. We were actually five kilometers from the border with Siberia, so we were almost at Russia. Uh, Mongolia actually used to be part of the USSR. Uh, and to get there was quite a journey. I mean, we had to take a flight from the capital city of Mongolia, Ulaanbaatar, and then seven or eight hours in Toyota Land Cruisers, you know, doing four-wheel drive. And when we got to uh, the river, we took a camel and horse caravan. We had eight camels and 16 horses and traveled two days up into the headwaters of the river. Uh, and that's just to start fishing. And then we blew up our rafts and floated for over 100 miles and two weeks of fishing. Wow. What river is that? It's called the Delgar Moron. That's, I'm sure most people won't know, but they might want to look it up on a map. And yeah, you're... it's one of the tributaries of Lake Bacal, which is the biggest lake in Asia. Okay. It's now, you, al- lake. you also were after a very unique quarry. Tell us about the fish you were searching for. Well, the Latin name of the fish is Hucho Taiman, and everyone just in, in North America just calls it Taiman. It's a member of the Salmonid family. And uh, when I wrote a magazine article about this fish, I, I called it essentially a giant trout. 
It's not actually a trout, but neither is a lake trout or a brook trout. Those aren't trout, they're char. But they're all members of a family called salmonids that includes all the char, all the trout, and all of the, the freshwater salmon. And this uh, Huchotaimon is a member of that same family, and it is the biggest member of the family. Like, There's been uh, documented catches of this fish that are over 190 pounds. Holy so cow. It's, it's basically the biggest trout in the world. Wow, that's incredible. Now, you're gonna, you did a film on that, and I want to get to that. And I want to talk a little bit more about this fish, too, because it's got some unique uh, characteristics, how it patrols its habitat and things. But let's first, let's talk about the fact you were going into this area, and this really touched me about your story. Not only that this was an incredible adventure that people are going to get to see on your film when it comes to Denver, which we'll talk about more in a little bit, but you took a doctor and a dentist with you into an area that's virtually third world. And so it shows that I've been a, an advocate of using the outdoors um, for cultural advancement, for making friends, for sharing memories, for doing good in the world my whole life. That's been kind of our mantra was is to get people in the outdoors because it brings a value system. It brings a bonding that very few other activities do. You took a doctor and a dentist with you into this area. Now, I know you want to push for conservation in this river, and you wanted to make friends with the people. But what kind of an experience was that, to bond with them and bring a doctor and a dentist? Well, it was probably the, the most important part of the trip. I mean, first of all, the, the people that took care of us up there, the horses, the camels, we stayed in, in the, t- the tents of the nomadic people that live up there, and they were our hosts. And they're also the guardians of the river, so I was looking for ways to do something for them so that so that they could see the the value in not just our visit but in future visits so uh, I talked to a few people and I found a doctor and a dentist who were both interested in fishing they were interested in in the Hucho Taiman and helping save them and so they signed up for this trip too, and we did wellness clinics as we proceeded down the river one of them we took a whole day and set up tents and on that particular day uh we saw 146 patients and while the while the kids were you know there was long lines to see the doctor and the dentist and so while the kids were waiting i took them on on uh little float trips in our rafts in the river which they really enjoyed they they live by a river but they're not boat people at all they have no boats or anything so the kids really liked that, and we taught them how to fly fish too, and uh, and and used a translator to teach them about the timing in the river and help them understand that these fish that are in their river are unique in the world and they are a rapidly disappearing breed of fish, and that they they are the guardians of the fish, and so they needed to be educated about it. Well, you know what a what a great uh, just multiple use trip. I mean, you're 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 making friends, and if you took even the conservation of the river out of it, just people from America coming to this place, meeting these people, you know, making friends, showing how they can get along, that we care about people, bringing them wellness clinics, teaching them, taking fishing, taking boat rides, just such great you know, just human interaction, but then to do the wellness with the doctor and the dentist, but then leverage all that to try to preserve one of the most unique animals on the planet who, and let's talk a little bit about this fish. You talked about how immense it gets, and well, let's talk about a typical one, and also 
if I'm not mistaken, when they get to a certain size, don't they kind of dominate a large section of river? So it's not like you're going to find five or six of these in one stretch, right? Yeah, they're not they're not as numerous as trout. It's just like a, a grizzly bear. Like they need a huge territory to roam and to get their food and live in different habitats and zones. And they're voracious predators. These fish. I mean, they can eat an enormous amount of other fish, including smaller smaller taimen. So, you know, they're really spread out. Uh, I took a two week fishing trip, but I only caught three of these fish. So, you know. You have to work hard at it. But in this river, there's also smaller, there's Lenach and Arctic grayling. And so if you use small tackle, you can catch a lot of small fish. But those are all the prey species of the taimen. You, If you want to catch the big fish, you have to use big flies and big tackle and put a lot of days into it. Now tell us about, you've got an event coming up, I believe it's uh, November 4th and 5th, and you're going, to be, you're going to be traveling the country sharing this experience with people, and I think it premieres here, or at least it shows here on the 4th and 5th, and that money's going back to that time and fund, I believe. Tell us about the event and what's all involved. Well, we, when I was in Mongolia, we, we made a one-hour documentary film that's going to be shown on Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, and World Fishing Network. But, but before it hits the airwaves, we wanted to do a, a premiere and have you know, people come and enjoy the film in a theater. And so we were making it a fundraising event for the Time and Fund. We chose Denver because there's an enormous number of fishermen and outdoorsmen and fly fishermen in the Denver area. And we, we thought it would be a great audience to support the time and fun. Uh, they're going to have a silent auction there and, uh, fly fisherman magazine is providing the beer and the food and the, there's going to be a band. So it's, it's going to be a pretty entertaining night. It's at the Paramount theater, but all of the ticket money and all of the proceeds from the silent auction all go to a nonprofit organization called the Timon Fund, and they work exclusively in Mongolia to educate people about catch and release fishing. They work for legislation to to protect the fish, and they lobby against things like gold mines and and other kinds of exploration in these few watersheds that are remaining that still have Timon in them. A lot of the other watersheds that historically used to have these big fish, they're gone now because of mining and pollution and stuff, and the fish are just gone. You now, put a gold mine on one of these rivers, so you can say goodbye to the fish. Spell Timon for me so that people understand a listing out there in case they want to Google it. Timon is T-A-I-M-E-N. You also hear people say Taman a lot. I say Timon. Neither one is incorrect. They're, they're both right. And that event, again, is going to be on November 4th and 5th. We'll talk about that again. But I told you also, because you're with Fly Fisherman Magazine, I was going to put you on the spot. Every couple of years when we have fly fishing guests on, on a, we, didn't, we have them on, on a regular basis, I kind of ask them if you could only have five flies in your box. And we try to gear it mostly towards trout fishing, but if you do a lot of other fishing, you can throw one in. If you could only have five flies for all the fishing that you do, mostly for trout, what five would you take? Well, I'd have to put the Clouser minnow on there on my list because it's a universal fly. I've caught fish on it all over the world in the salt and fresh water, and it's a, it's a good trout fly too. It's basically the fly, fisherman, fly fisherman's version of a jig. 
So that would be my multi-purpose go anywhere fly. But for, for trout fishing, I, I think my four other favorites would probably be a black beauty, which is a small midge pattern. That's if it didn't come from Colorado, it was popularized there, but it's, it's a great one for the South Platte and Cheeseman Canyon and all of the, the tailwaters in Colorado. And then for my dry fly fishing, I really love um, a dry fly called the Gulper Special, which is uh, a, a synthetic version of the Parachute Adams. Parachute Adams is hard for me to tie because you have to stack up calf hair just right. And the Gulper Special uses synthetic material. It's more durable and uh, easier to tie. And uh, I can't go anywhere without the woolly bugger. And a beadhead pheasant tail. You know, you kind of hit, um, we did this once a couple of years ago, and a pheasant tail and a, and a woolly bugger were on everybody's list. Everybody, almost everybody had some form of an Adams, and usually there was a caddis in there, and then they kind of went around. But it's always interesting because it's it's fun, and when you're, you know, my goal with this is a lot of people are starting fly fishing here in Colorado every year. And they walk into a fly shop and they're overwhelmed. Well, here's, you know, go buy a few. We're going to do this for a few weeks. Here's a few recommendations you can buy or tie during this winter. Put them in your box. And before you go, stop at a local fly shop and see what's good on that river. But if you have some of these with you, you're always going to at least have some options. So, Ross, before I let you go, tell people again, where's the premiere? How do they get tickets? Is there an online site? Uh, You buy tickets at altitudetickets.com. The tickets are $30, but like I said, that includes food and beer and band and entertainment and uh, the premiere of the film, and all of that money goes to the Time and Fund. It is November 4th, 5.30 p.m. at the Paramount Theater downtown. It's a really beautiful venue, and we're going to have a lot of uh, vendors, like some local companies from the Denver area, like Umpqua Feather Merchants and Fish Pond. And some bigger companies like Patagonia and Costa will be there giving out like samples and stuff like that. So it's going to be really a heck of a party. And it's for a great, great cause, too. And that also sounds like a great adventure that people are going to want to see what you experience there. Ross, thanks for joining us. We'll have you on again sometime soon. Thanks so much. It was great talking to you. You bet. That's that's Ross from the Fly Fishing Magazine. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're going right to the phones. Joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Jim Guthrie. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm glad to have you on. You know, this is a great topic because uh, as you look at our outdoor public, and Colorado's an outdoor state, all you have to do is look out the window today and know why. What beautiful weather. But the biggest thing that keeps people from getting more involved in outdoor activities is lack of access to to experience those things and lack of amenities when they get there. Now, Colorado Parks and Wildlife isn't only charged with maintaining our parks and the habitat for our wildlife, but you've got programs in place, partnership-type programs, to really expand access and amenities in the fishing and shooting sports, don't you? Yep. Uh, We've got two main ones. One is called Fishing is Fun. It's been around about 30 years. And the other is our Shooting Range Grant Program. That's a 
comparative baby, but it's been around about 10 years. Now, these programs, they don't just service the metro area, right? They're, I looked, You sent me some maps, and over the last few years, you've done projects across the state in both programs. Yeah, it's, uh, it is statewide. And so, and you get that. And these are partnership programs. Now, the money actually for these programs has been reduced over the last few years because we were running into some real budget issues at Parks and Wildlife. <clears throat> some recent legislation should help that. And this money should be able to channel back into projects. Is that what you, you're hopeful for? Yeah, in particular on the Fishing is Fun program, uh, that use right now it's about four hundred thousand dollars a year we invest in angling improvements around the state. That used to be almost double that, or more than double. And uh, because of our budget situation, it kind of got whittled back, whittled back. And as part of the fee increase that passed in the last session, um, one of the commitments we made uh, to, to sportsmen and that they wanted was uh, and to increase uh, funding for fishing is fun. Uh, so it, it won't be a it won't double overnight, but it'll hopefully it'll just start building over the next couple of years and we can do even more projects. And a lot of the funding for that are funds that go to every state from, from excise taxes. Is that right? Yeah. And what Colorado does is uh, it's a Dingle Johnson fund uh, for fishing and the states get to decide how to allocate it. And a lot of ours goes to hatchery work and uh, aquatic um, research and stream investigations and but uh, Colorado also sets aside a part uh, for uh, the Fishing is Fun uh, program. Now both these programs are partnership programs. I want to get spend some time on the shooting one especially, but let's start with the fishing. Um, what type of projects, and then what type of matching funds, and who can come to you to get these grants, and what's the process? And it's probably similar for both programs. It it, it is similar, you know, different different characters involved uh, or parties um, for fishing is fun. It's uh, we really try to set up a wide uh, net, you know, so to speak for what projects are eligible. Uh, there's some over the years I've seen that I wouldn't have thought of. Um, and, but people come in and, and they make a case uh, for why it's improving uh, angling. Um, and, so if we had a strict list, it might not have been on there, but we're like, here, here are the typical type of projects, which are uh, maybe a ADA fishing pier on a, on a lake or habitat improvement in a stretch of stream or even a trail uh, and uh, going down to, to a stream, you know, to provide access. Um, but there are other ones removing barriers for fish migration that you wouldn't think of, but it can really create a new fishery on a, on a stretch of river. Who, who, who applies for these grants? And before we move on to the shooting, because I want to get a little more in depth on that, but who applies for the fishing is fun? Who can apply? And what kind of a match do they need? They need to pay for at least 25% of the project cost. Um, but that can come in a variety of forms. It can be hard cash. It can be don't. A lot of times we have donated labor, uh, and supplies and equipment. Um, we've seen a lot of projects where local construction companies will, um, you know, just donate 
a couple days of their time. So um, it, it doesn't have to just be cash. But the type of groups, you know, again, we try to get as many interested, eligible people as possible. Most of them are angling groups who see the need for a project or like a county, um, a local government uh, that has a pond and wants to develop it as part of a park uh, in a lot of cases. Um, Some water uh, conservation districts um, also have reservoirs and, and they decide let's have some angling on here or make it better. Now, let's move on to the shooting one, because I want to spend some time on this before we run out. And uh, I think this has been especially special. I've seen over the years the development of a lot of shooting ranges. I don't know if I should say a lot, but a number of shooting ranges and archery ranges across Colorado. And I think that's so important because as we've got more development, as we've got more organized campgrounds, as we've got more trail use, finding public land where you can go out and safely shoot is getting more and more difficult. And avid uh, people who are shooting sports, I'm in the shooting sports. I like to practice. I like to plink. I like to do so. It's recreational for me more than anything. And it's getting more difficult. I think that's really important if we're going to keep people in the shooting sports. And I think shooting your firearm and being aware of it, even if you're a hunter that only goes out once a year, being familiar is also a very big safety factor. So tell me about the the shooting program. Who 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 partners with those and what kind of locations do you look for? Um, for the partners, we, uh, you know, again, it can be counties. A lot of them are gun clubs and we improve them. Part of the uh, program will require, although the clubs often provided some public access, uh, it might be like a Saturday, uh, they're open to the public uh, for shooting. Um, and But there are a number of uh, projects we've done with, you know, again, counties and local governments, and those tend to be uh, free and open to the public. Um, in the, you know, your point about the uh, kind of restrictions or limitations on public shooting and how that's growing there. In the Denver metro area, it's obviously really difficult to find good sites and develop them. We've got three that I think are pretty neat. One is up by, it's called the Devil's Nose shooting area. It's up uh, towards Mount Evans. And that's uh, on Forest Service land, and they're going to do construction next year on it. Um, And, you know, so that's accessible to the Denver metro area. There's Uh, The Boulder Rifle Club is looking at expanding their range. That's a a pretty expensive club to join. The nice part is this part, the additional part we're looking at, will be open to the public at, you know, again, not 100% of the time, but uh, it'll be open to the public at, you know, very reasonable rates that other Typical clubs would charge, you know, seven to ten bucks a day would be my guess. So that's a that's a tremendous opportunity there. The third one is north of Denver and Fort Lupton. They're looking at building a big range. They've got a site identified. Uh, this has been a multi-year project. It started probably three or four years ago, and uh, hopefully in the next two years we'll get some construction going on that. So we're trying to get some new ranges going in the Denver metro area. It's a lot easier in the, you know, Moffat County 
to to site a range. It's it's a lot more difficult in the Denver area. Last time, last question. We're out of time, but if there's organizations out there that are interested in either one of these programs, how do they apply for grants? Is that procedure on the website somewhere, or is there a contact? Uh, I would just get on our website or Google Fishing is Fun Colorado and Shooting Range Grants Colorado, and we'll probably come up at the top, and that'll be the page on our website that'll give you all the information, and it'll also have my contact information so they can email me and and we can start talking. That sounds great. What a great program. I'm virtually evangelistic about getting people outdoors, and these programs do nothing but help that. Jim, thank you, and thank you for the work with the Parks and Wildlife on these programs. I appreciate it. Thanks. You bet. That's uh, Jim Guthrie from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We're going to take a time out. We come back. We're going to talk interaction with moose right here on Terry Wicksham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. And we are joined now from Parks and Wildlife by Alyssa Slazek. Good morning, Alyssa. Good morning, Terry. It's beautiful. Where are you calling us from? I'm up in Summit County. Is it as gorgeous there as it is here this weekend? Yes, it's a beautiful day. No clouds. This is why we love living in Colorado, isn't it? I talked earlier, you could hike up in the mountains, and there's some places that have well, almost two feet of snow, and down here it's going to be 70 degrees, and you're in between. And But we're going to talk today. If I asked most people what the most dangerous animal in Colorado is, the one that has the most attacks, the one that is the most dangerous to interact with, I think a lot of people would say bears, and a few would say mountain lions, but that's not the case, is it? No, it's not. It's uh, it's a moose, actually. It really is. And people, you know, they look at that long-legged thing. They're fun to look at. They're they're majestic. Um, they're large. How big do moose in Colorado get? Uh, they'll get about six feet tall at the shoulder, and they weigh about a thousand pounds. So they're not little guys, and and I think they account for. Don't they account for the majority of any kind of big game attacks in Colorado? Uh, yeah, by far. They're definitely the most dangerous animal we have in the state. Yeah, I think people underestimate their personality. Um, how many, do you know how many moose attacks we see in a year? Um, it it varies, um, but up, up in the high country, I know we have a handful every year, and some go unreported. Uh, we We hear about a lot of them second and third hand. Well, and we're going to we're going to talk. I'm sorry. We're going to talk about a video you made in a while, too. But let's just get into a few of the basics. What uh, moose are a very different animal than any other member of the deer family, aren't they? Yes, they're uh, they're the largest member of the deer family, uh, but their behavior is far different than deer and elk. I mean, if you uh, you come across a deer, uh, it's, it's really rare if a, if a deer attacks you or even an elk. They're, they're usually spooked. They move on. They want nothing to do with you. Moose just don't have that inherent fear of people. In fact, they'll almost get uh, aggressive towards you, or they will get aggressive. Yeah, they're, they're not afraid of us at all. And they'll do their thing, and they'll let people get way too close to them. And then they, they've all got a breaking point. And uh, when a moose hits that breaking point, they can be very aggressive. Why don't you take us through some of the more common mistakes that lead to moose attacks? Um, a lot of it is uh, when they're visible in uh, in neighborhoods or on trails, people just get way too close to them. They'll walk right up to them to, to get pictures. Uh, and the other issue is uh, letting their dogs get too close. And 
Moose do not like dogs. In fact, they see a dog as a their natural predator, a wolf, even small dogs. And a dog on a leash even can be attacked if you're holding it because moose don't run. They attack their predators. But a loose dog, you know what? Here's what happens when a dog is loose. If it's in moose country, the moose sees the dog. It gets mad. It chases the dog. And they can run over 30 miles an hour. People don't underestimate these critters. And the dog runs to the human and then the moose comes and stomps the human because the way a moose defends itself is stomping, right? Yeah, they'll strike with their front legs and then and then stomp on whatever it is that's uh, threatening them. And another thing you said about getting too close, people too often, they love to have wildlife, especially as we move our, we develop more and more into our rural neighborhoods and up in the mountains and feeding big game. You know, we used to talk, we did a thing last year about feeding, feeding deer, because if you feed deer, you're going to have mountain lions, but it's against the law and it's not safe to feed moose either. No. And in fact, just this past week, um, there was somebody that had a salt block in their backyard. Moose uh, came into their backyard and got entangled in a homemade zip line. And we actually had to tranquilize the animal to get it untangled. But it was angry and uh, it was it was dangerous for anyone to get near it. Now, anybody who thinks that... um... You know, feeding wildlife is fun and it's and it's it's, you know, it's pleasurable to watch. I understand that. But not only are you endangering yourself, but the animal quite often once these animals, whether they're moose or deer or bear or even lions, they get conditioned to being around people. Quite often it's to the detriment of that animal, isn't it? It is. They uh, they become habituated um, when they're coming in for food or salt. And it also, it's not a natural feeding behavior for them, and it can increase transmission of disease um, between animals. And if an animal becomes too habituated and injures somebody, we have to put it down. So any type of feeding usually ends up being almost a death sentence for that animal. It really does, but it's still so dangerous. And we talked about moose. Um, Moose are just incredibly aggressive animals. They're, they, have, they have no fear of human beings. They can run so much faster than people think. So what should you do if you encounter a moose and you're doing things right? I mean, first, you obviously want to keep your distance, but what should you do? Um, so, yeah, keeping your distance is the most important thing. Uh, there are occasions where people accidentally stumble upon a moose, say on a trail, they come around a turn and there's a moose right next to a tree or behind a willow that they just didn't see until they were too close. So if you find yourself too close, create that distance, back up. Um, if that moose focuses on you, looks at you, or comes toward you, towards you, then uh, you need to run away and get behind something really big. Get something in between you and that, that moose. And they'll give you indicators. I mean, they lick their nose, their ears pin back, their hair comes up. If you see any of those signs, that moose is aggressive, and you're in trouble if you can't find safety. What are, um, what, are there times of the year when the moose seem to be more aggressive? Yeah, definitely. Right now is one of them. It's the fall. It's breeding season uh, for the moose, and the bull moose, are they're in the rut. Uh, they're they're looking for cows. They're looking for other bulls to fight, and they have a lot of testosterone, and they're a lot more easily provoked this time of year. Uh, and then in the springtime is when the calves are born, and the cow moose are extremely protective of their young. Yeah. Always want to stay away from a mama moose with her calves. And, you know, moose are majestic, and I can understand why people want to view them. And there are, we've got, well, I think, what are we up to? We're between two and 3,000 moose in Colorado. We really have a good population, don't we? 
We do. We have a very healthy population, and it seems to be growing in a lot of areas. And people want to watch, and there's certain areas, like every time I go up like to the um, State Forest State Park area, I'll almost always see moose, not always, but quite often. And there's other areas, and there's uh, moose-watching information on the Divisional Wildlife site. And certainly go and observe these animals. They're so much fun to see. They're big and majestic. But don't underestimate how fast they can go. I've seen video. In fact, I think there's some on the video you're going to tell us about. A moose can run through what would be thigh-deep snow for us at 20, 30 miles an hour. Yeah, if, uh, that, that video is amazing. It shows a moose plowing through waist-deep snow uh, like a freight train. Tell uh, us about the video. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead, finish. I would say it's, uh, it's pretty impressive. Um, it's, uh, we can barely move in snow that deep, but a moose can, can run pretty darn fast. Yeah, you'd be in, no pun intended, but deep trouble if that moose decided you provoked it. Where can people see the video? It's really a great piece. kind of explains moose interaction. Where is it going to be available? It's available on our uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife Facebook page, and it's also on YouTube. And I believe the title is uh, Moose Attacks Are Increasing. So if you Google Colorado Moose, uh, it should come up. And it's also going to be posted on our website under uh, the Moose Information page. And, uh, yeah, so it's available uh, across several um, social media sites right now. And I think the message we'll leave people with is people, you know, we want you outdoors. Wildlife watching is one of the most uh, biggest economic impacts on the state of Colorado. And we want you out there doing it. And it's enjoyable. And I do it. Just use common sense. Don't try to get a selfie with a moose or feed a moose. Or if you watch them from a distance, bring some binoculars. And if you get in trouble, be prepared. Yes, that's uh, the biggest thing. They're amazing animals, and we want people to, to view them and be able to take pictures. Just do it safely, uh, protect yourself, and that'll protect the wildlife as well. Make sure you keep your dog on a leash, and whatever you do, don't let your dog chase or bark at the moose. That, that can provoke them pretty quickly. I think number one is just don't take dogs into moose territory, because you're just asking for trouble. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, it's a pretty quick trigger. Um, to, to make a moose mad. So. All right, Alyssa, thank you so much. Hopefully people will watch that video. It's a great watch, even if you're not going to go watching moose. Thank you for joining us today. All right. Thanks, Terry. Thank you for having me. All right. That was Alyssa from Colorado Parks and Wildlife talking about moose. We're going to take a quick time out. The guys from Sun Power Sports are going to join us. We're going to talk about some of the equipment that's available now, and you're going to need coming up right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Speaking of Sun Power Sports, joining us on the phone is Mark Kite. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, Terry. It's a beautiful, beautiful weekend out, Mark, but I think last weekend a lot of people got caught by surprise. Yeah, no doubt about it. That weather's really been changing, but you're right. This week has been just absolutely stunning. Yeah, pe- beautiful. People should be out trail riding today. I mean, yeah. it's just, oh, there's still some colors in some places. You know, we've got everything in the state right now from 70 degrees down here to I've talked to some hunters that had 15 inches to two feet of snow up in the mountains. And we're going to talk about maybe using that ATV for hunting, getting your elk out, things like that. But right now, a lot of people, I know the the tire and the car dealers were just swamped with people because all of a sudden the snow came and people weren't ready. A lot of people have large driveways in today's, uh, especially if they live in more rural areas, and they have areas of snow to clear. And boy, if you have an ATV, 
you could buy it for just snow removal, or you can buy one for fun and have it with uh, snow removal equipment. What kind of options are available? Yeah, for sure. You know, that's really what we're getting into right now. You know, I mean, a lot of hunting-type hunting vehicles, that kind of thing. But really, you know, the landscapers and the homeowners and stuff are getting ready for the snowfall. So, you know, we do everything. We've got Honda snowblowers up here. We do a full line of Honda snowblowers. Um, you know, if you've got a bigger area to, to clear snow with, obviously, ATV and side-by-side both and with plow attachments. But, you know, you talk about accessories, lots of things. You know, winches and plows, you know, heated hand grips. Uh, we do a lot of the heated hand grip stuff, you know, especially on ATV. Try to keep it warm. You know, on the side-by-side stuff, we do a lot of full cabin closures. You know, so full cabin closures. We do, um, you know, aftermarket heater kits. We put heat heat in them. Windshield wiper kits. Uh, you know, winch plow setups. And so, really, you know, whatever whatever your need is, you know, we can take care of that for sure. And there's actual snowblower attachments for ATVs and side-by-sides too, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we do that, and uh, we've even done some track kits. You know, for snow removal. Um, you know, we've got to do extended push tubes and stuff stuff like that on those on those machines but you know if if uh you know they're up in the mountains and they're getting you know a lot of snow we can we can handle that as well for sure well yeah you get some of those areas you get a lot of snow and even if you've got a good traction and a good plow there's no place to push the snow too that snowblower allows you to move it out of the way because the next bunch is going to fall right on you and they're just tremendous for that and i gotta i gotta share a secret as i'm getting older you know, I'm trying to travel more when the snow comes, and Karen's catching on to it. So we got to find another way to remove the snow. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Speaking of traveling, though, and uh, we talked ice fishing and hunting, and uh, you and I are got an ice fishing trip coming up. But let's talk hunting first. We're getting into upland game season. We're in the middle of big game seasons. You know, there's still time to get a great deal on an ATV that'll aid you in uh, getting around on the trails in your hunting areas. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I mean, right now, this time of the year is such a great time to buy, you know, I mean, truthfully, and and I don't want to make this a sales pitch by any means, but it just really is a great time to buy, you know, I mean, Polaris has got their factory authorized clearance going on, and a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, OEMs have big rebates and stuff like that this time of the year, so, no, it definitely is a great time, time of the year to buy, whether, you know, whatever your vehicle's use is, you know, hunting, fishing, um, snow removal, just play, whatever it is, absolutely. You know, you talked about that track system, and you and I... I've done some ice fishing trips, and we were able to get by because there wasn't a lot of snow on the ice with just uh, four by fours, and uh, we got around fine. But boy, if you in Colorado's, uh, there's a lot of Colorado lakes that allow for motorized vehicles for fishing. And and so you can take a snowmobile or an ATV out. Well, there's times when an ATV, you get a little snow, but that track system changes everything. And now you have a year-round vehicle. It does. There's no doubt about it, you know. And then, you know, the other thing with the track thing is, is people, I think, sometimes the misconception is, is if you put tracks on an ATV, you know, it's kind of stuck with tracks on it. And it's really not the case. You know, the new track systems come on and off very easily and, and in a very short amount of time. And you can do a swap from tracks to tires and usually 45 minutes once the initial install done. So, you know, it's not a big deal, but yes, it definitely changes, you know, where you can go. It is amazing. I've been places where, you know, with track ATVs that, that you would never believe you could go. So pretty amazing. Well, I know we've got an ice fishing trip coming up and Nate Zielinski last year, I think, was using one of your track systems for a lot of his ice fishing. He does, yeah. Nate's actually got one of our vehicles now. You know, um, you know, we help Nate out with that, and he's got a Honda uh, TRX 500 right now with tracks on it that he uses all the time for for all of his stuff, and uh, he loves it as well. So, yeah, no, it's a great, great vehicle, and uh, you know, the track system really, really, you know, helps as far as you know getting around, especially in deep snow. Before I let you go, I understand you guys hit a milestone with Cam Am this year. 
We did. We hit a we hit a huge milestone with Terry. Thanks, uh, thanks for bringing it up. Uh, yeah, we're uh, Can Am's ORV National Dealer of the Year. So, you know, I, I I say this, you know, it's it's uh, don't you know want to brag about it by any means. It's a very 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 cool thing, and you know, um, really truly, you know, we have a fabulous team here. But even more than our team, it's our customers. You know, it's the listeners and the generational business Sun has, and and uh, you know that that's really what what you know what made it. But yeah, right here in Colorado. We are uh, Ken M's ORV National Dealer of the Year. So pretty pretty cool stuff. Well, you know, especially when you consider you guys are tucked away, you're not right on a major thoroughfare, you have to give good service, good pricing, and have great selection to get people in there. Tell people how they find you, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple different ways to find us. You know, first off, you can look us up on the web. You can lo- look us up at sunent.com. Uh, that's our import dealership, or sunharleydavidson.com for our Harley-Davidson dealership. But where we're located, I-25 to the 84th Avenue X, it, get off on 84, two blocks to Pearl Street, and just come up Pearl. We're about 89th in Pearl, and a big five-acre campus, full city block. You can't miss us. All right, my friend, we will talk to you again soon, and we got to start setting dates and making plans to get out on the ice. I can't wait. Let's do it. It's going to be fun. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Terry. Have a great day. You bet. Mark Kite from uh, Sun Power Sports. Great, great partners to this show. Going back to the uh, early 2000s, they've been a partner on both this radio show and my television show, and you know, that brings up a point. We we have some really solid partners on this this radio program that make it possible, and uh, you know, and we really do check our sponsors out. Karen and I, we deal with them, we work with them, we buy from them, uh, and we go in and visit them, and we get to know the people. And when we support somebody on this show, we really believe it. Now, we're not going to tell you that when you go to one of our sponsors, they're not going to try to sell you something. That's their business. But they're good people who take care of uh, everybody. You know, we've got, you know, Sun is a great example of that. Uh, A&A Toppers is a great example of that. Prestige uh, Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram is a great example of that. And we've just got partners that, that take care of people and that they also understand and respect the outdoor public. By the way, I want to remind people to follow us on Facebook. F- Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook is the number one way to follow this show and what's going on with it. Um, if we're going to have a special guest on, uh, like we'll have Al Linder or Steve Panaz or one of those guys, or we'll, we'll, we'll put a post in the Facebook page ahead of time so you know, although you should listen every week anyway. When we get really interesting, you know, out-of-the-ordinary uh, interviews on the show, not only do we podcast every interview on 104.3 The Fan, but a lot of times we put links on Terry Wicks from Outdoors at Facebook. Whenever Karen adds another video to our our, uh, YouTube channel, which has over 100 uh, episodes of The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom on it now, Karen puts a link to that. In fact, she'll be posting a link, I think, this weekend or early in the week to a one-hour special on Lake Fork, Texas, going after bass, uh, panfish, and catfish. So that'll be posted up there. So you'll see that every time I call them comes out in the Denver Post every week. Karen posts a link to that column, and that's the best way to read my column because there you can go on the app. There's different ways to go online, but the one we post always has the best links because obviously the newspaper can't carry the links, and sometimes the app doesn't carry the links through as well as it should. But on the, on the online version that we post on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, you always get a link to the most complete column that I've written for that week. We're going to take a time out. We come back. Nate Zielinski is going to join us. We're going to talk hunting and fishing on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.